Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to Move Your Mind. My name's Nick Brax, and this is a podcast where we have real conversations with real people and give real advice. On today's episode, I want to welcome Susie Abramite. Susie's mostly known for a breakout role in the hit Netflix Marvel show Jessica Jones, starring alongside Carrie Ann Moss and Kristen Ritter. She was a world-class athlete by the age of 16 when she became a top-ranked tennis player, receiving a full scholarship to Duke University. Just a reminder that the Movie Mind book is now available in stores Australia-wide and for purchase through Booktopia and Amazon in Australia and through Amazon globally. I really appreciate all of the messages of support and I hope you enjoyed the episode. I love, you know, learning things and there was this documentary that I'm watching or I actually just finished, excuse me, um, about uh, the brain and how they had two sets of people. And, um, and one thing they found was uh, people who would suppress their emotions. So in one movie theater, they saw like animal. <laughs> For those who don't know, I just like my dog decided to go on the, wandering somewhere on the street. Uh, he got out of my yard <laughs> and uh, I had to find him. Luckily uh, a neighbor found him, but I, <laughs> I had to go looking for him all over the neighborhood until I found out that my neighbor had him. So um, I didn't know this neighbor, but you know, whatever, it all turned out for happy ending. But so my throat is still kind of scratchy. <laughs> Excuse me. So this, um, this amazing, um, they did this experiment where they had a, a set of people that were looking at animals getting like were injured or something like that. And then another set of people. And so um, they were told not to cry. So suppress their emotions. And then the mm. other group was told to feel your feelings and cry. And then they were brought out and they found that the people um, who suppressed their emotions, they would have like a squeezing thing. And the group that was told to suppress their emotions and they would squeeze this, like this, um, I don't know, this, like this metal thing where you, you know, you, and you try to like hold it as long as you could. And then the other group would do the same. They found mm. that the group who would feel their feelings could hold it for twice as long. So that's really interesting because right, right. Brain, it took more mental, uh, like it, it took more mental ability and like a lot more effort to kind of suppress your emotions versus mm. the other group that was just like crying it out. And then they're like, wow, we, they had more strength. So that's it, something that was like, that's pretty cool. So, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, well, I guess. I, Cause like, Oh, sorry. No, keep, keep going. Keep no. going. <laughs> so, well, no, I, I, I was just finishing the thought that I, you know, as you're Australian, I'm from Boston, people from like, I would say that, you know, the, the UK influences where you have a stiff upper lip, um, you, you know, suppress your emotions 
And I found that that wasn't a viable solution to my problems. Like growing up as a kid, I was like, this is not okay. And so as you grow up, you're like, oh, this is way more healthy. And it was sort of like a working theory that I had where I'm like, you know, Tony Robbins, I always thought was really valuable in a lot of things. Like he's such a wizard in so many ways, but then some of the things I'm like, he doesn't talk about really moving through those emotions, at least as far as all the, all the tapes that I've listened to, maybe like that's changed. I know he, he's always growing and learning. Mm -hmm. Um, but the time when I, a lot of the tapes that I had listened to was like, you know, getting yourself into a peak state, but it didn't deal with like processing trauma. It didn't deal with all these other emotions. And I was like, I, it was all this other stuff that it's like, you need to like deal with. And then, you know, cause I was like, man, is, you know, I can get myself into that state, but it still doesn't deal with the fact of like, you know, other stuff yeah. or you exactly, can't just yeah. over it. And so that was sort of a working theory. And then like, you know, I learned to really like cry, like anytime I needed to, to really like process things. And it's kind of like animals, animals, when mm. they get injured, they're attacked, they shake things off. And so I think that that's mm. our similar mechanism. And if we don't, it sort of like stays stuck in the body. So yeah. that was always just a working theory that I had where I was like, sure, you know, Joe Dispenza trying to, but I think it's important to process the emotion. So you're like clear and then you can like get yourself back into that state. So I think there's Absolutely. that kind of part thing, right? So, and then yeah. hearing that, um, that just reaffirmed um, everything that I kind of believe that experiment. Cause I was like, yeah, you have more strength. You know, I mean, that what a metaphor you have literally like physically more strength than you have mentally more strength when you like mm. deal with the problems, process them and like move forward. I love that. Um, can I, can I steal that one from you? Yes, please. I, think, I, I, I love it. But it's so true because like, I guess if you're holding on to all these different things, it's like, it's so, <clears throat> you know, you, you're so free when you let emotion out, but it is that kind of thing, you know, where, like you're saying, um, from your background or parenting or whatever, it's, you know, you get taught to, and especially like men as well, we get taught we're not meant to show emotion and I still have trouble crying and I, it feels so good. Like I want to cry more. Um, and- <laughs> I was crying. I was crying so much yesterday. It was great. And then it's after so losing my so dog, good. It's I was such like, a release. I need to cry this out, but I was like, I have a podcast to do. <laughs> Feel free to cry on here if you, if you cry, need to. Hey, it happens. We'll cry. We'll yeah. If you, if you cry, you cry. Exactly. It's like a good thing. But um, I, I love all the things you're saying before as well. Cause I think, you know, some of that Tony Robbins stuff and, I guess so much of what we're taught, it, it, especially in America, Australia, you know, it's all about capitalism, pushing forward, getting results at all costs. And a lot of like these behaviors can lead to results, uh, but then it's like at what expense and am I actually happy in the process and what damage am I doing to myself? So that part you're talking about, it's like, it, that's the more, if you get that part right first, then you can, you know, add the other things later or work out that. But I think it's just, it's so, it's such an important thing what you're saying. So true. My, um, one of my best friends, she had a brain tumor and she was told that, um, she might, she might a die, like after the surgery B might never walk again, see like her face might just, you know, feel like it, like had a stroke. Like she might not be able to use like one part of her, like her side. Anyway, it turns out she just she lost hearing like best case scenario was she just lost, you know, her balance nerves and hearing. And anyway, she had to relearn how to walk (laughs) and she was 
mm-hmm. told she would never play soccer again. Turns out um, she like defied everything what they said and like went on to go be featured in Sports Illustrated and all this stuff about like she like kicked the winning goal for like her Duke Duke soccer team. Um, but uh, it was really interesting hearing what she had gone through because she, um, it was so tough on her body to like come back so strong and within only like two to three months after such an ordeal of brain surgery. And I mean, she was like literally on the starting lineup, like, you know, in top NCAA, like we're talking like pro level. Yeah. And she came back after like two to three months and it was just unheard of and every, but then she felt like she paid a price for it with her body was not reacting and having like an autoimmune, like it, it just like, there was lots of like, she did everything to get herself back into shape, but then it, it, there caused a chain of reaction where it was like, and, and, and that made me really reflect because how many mm-hmm. times have we pushed through something, you know, it's like, I was a pro athlete growing up and it was, yeah, you know, I wanted to ask you about of, that. Yeah. Same type of idea where you just, you push through everything you, mm-hmm. you know, you pain is just a part of the deal. And like, I mean, I guess that is life. And sometimes you have to push through, but I think there's also, you know, a time to rest. And I never properly learned how to like rest or take care of myself because it was right, always, right. Like, you know, sort of like war wounds. Like you're like, yeah, I got a war wound. Like, uh, like hundred percent. Yeah. Right. It's like I, I had, it's an I, Australian mentality. It's a Boston mentality. It's just like, you're tough. It's just, it is. Like, and you know, a like, thing. It's a cultural thing. And, you know, my, my family, I, I guess my dad, it's like an immigrant family and it's ingrained that, you know, you just, and you, you witness it in all the family. I just, no matter what, like they can just push through anything. And so then it just gets so ingrained, but like, I, I was similar. I was like competing in middle distance running at a really high level as a kid. And I, it was just this thing of pushing and not even like, because of the, like competing with people it was like against myself at all costs, just push. I want to see how far I can push myself. And it's like, you know, looking back, it's like so unbalanced and unhealthy to do that. Yeah. That's the, that's the kind of thing that you learn is like, if you want to excel at this one thing, it's, it comes at such a price and such a cost. And what we've been like, I've been really thinking about this is like this whole idea of deconstructing the American dream, because it's like, I, I feel like, (laughs) I feel like I had, I had achieved everything I wanted to, like what my dreams were when I was 12. And, um, like, it was like, I'm going to be top 10 in the country. I was like number six in the, in the nation. I was sponsored by Nike. Like, so I had all these things on my list. Super high level. Like you were, yeah, (laughs) I wanted to get a full ride to university. Like that was in the, you know, they were the number one team and And so it was like everything. And then when I finally got all those things, I had to really understand like what, you know, why did I think that this was going to bring me happiness? Like I thought that this was, you know, so once it's like you win the game, then you're like, oh wait, you you kind of go to a state of depression. I mean, um, I love yeah, yeah, yeah. He he talks about this. It's like once you finish a game, you have to like start another one. But I think there was something deeper mm. where it was like, we have been, you know, our par- and that's been taught by our parents and our, our, you know, our parents' parents of, 
you know, trying to do everything for your kids that they didn't have and, you know, what the American dream is and the idea of what happiness is or a meaningful life. And the kind, and what I've been thinking about this, it's like, we've been sold this bill of goods thinking that it's one thing, but it's, it's really this facade of, you know, a life and it's not balanced. It's not healthy you know, in, in any, like just to, you know, to achieve obviously like innovation and achievement and technology, like you always want to continue getting better Mm -hmm. and advancing, but you also want to do it in a healthy balanced way that isn't, you know, at at the cost of your body, of your mind, of your, you know, and I, and I learned like, there's always a duality to every good thing, you know, and every bad thing that happens, there's always a dual nature to it. So it's like, you know, when bad yep. things have happened, I've always found the blessings within those like terrible things. And then the good things that do happen <laughs> equally, you're like, oh, like there's a, there's other, you know, bad things. You're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't really think this one through. And there's always like pros and cons to everything. And that's what's so fascinating about like the nature of life. And, you know, there is, there is such a balance, uh, but when you're living such an extreme life and, yeah, I think if you're living such an extreme life in without like a single-minded myopic focus, then it you're just you're missing so many other aspects, at least like to me that are important, you know, like family and friends mm-hmm. and love and you know, like those things I, you know, I was so single-mindedly focused on, you know, winning and achievement and being the best. And then, you know, you, you miss out on a lot of like cultivating all these other things. For sure. Like it's, it's so complicated and it's like what you're saying, like it's sometimes it's like, be careful what you wish for, because when you do get it, it's like, oh, this came at that cost. And now I don't have time to have a family or, you know, see my friends or do any of these things. And it's, I think that's what I like find so hard in life in general. It's like this, we've taught the mindset that it's, you know, win or lose, but it's, it's every, whatever you do has a, like you said, positive and negative. So it's not really about, there's no perfect choice. And I think perfectionism is like such a difficult thing because there's no right or wrong or better or worse way. It's about like what works for you to, you know, live your life and get the most out of it. So it's like, it's, it is so complicated. And it's like a daily process of trying to find how do I, how do I find that balance? And I mean, there's so many things I want to ask you about with that as well. And like with being a professional, athlete like what did you what made you transition from that into entertainment and I guess then the next part of that is like um have you how have you have you found that balance or has in in the entertainment industry how do you sort of you know because it's so competitive as well does that bring it about a lot of that thinking as well yeah I mean there there are so many there's so many parallels but I think I was Mm. as a kid (laughs) I have this, I have this photo of me and my mom on my desk. And, um, so I'm kind of like a little bit, bit of a monkey, like a wild feral animal. I feel right. Just all this like energy that you need to put somewhere. (laughs) Totally. Oh my God. Yes. Is that what you got from that photo? (laughs) Yeah. I could see like the, and it reminds me of, you know, me as a kid as well. I was like, just could, you know, not, don't know how to like, there's too many things going on. Don't know where to put everything. So then you just like. Right. And then this was also like, I have this on my desk to kind of, I, I lost all my photos in the Malibu fires. I, uh, so this is like one of the photos somehow, like, I guess my mom saved it, but this was like 
my my child self that to just to remi- remind me that like you know I was like an earthy kid who like loved yeah, animals. Yeah. That was a dog. This is like my um my parents. Oh, that was like, yeah. So that was a dog that I was like obsessed, obsessed with dogs. Um, I don't know. I just, as a kid, as a, as a five-year-old, like I, I'm just trying to think back. I was a really artistic kid. So I was mm. like a really good athlete. Um, like <laughs> I feel like I, I got lots of like cool points with the boys because I would always get picked first. You know, there wasn't like, I know people are saying, um, before puberty, puberty, I feel like I really got a fair shake. It was like, who was the most competent athlete? And I, you know, among the boys, I was always like picked first, like, oh, Susie, you know? So it's like, right. we played yeah, like yeah. you know, I don't like, I forget. It was like dodgeball or like four square or like, it was like a uh, floor hockey. <laughs> like I was so good. I would go full on and I didn't care about being checked or like whatever. I would just go for it. Yeah. Um, no fear. Yeah. Yeah. I just was like, I, I just, I think my, I think I got that competitive spirit from my, from my dad. And I just, it, it was so fun for me. Um, and that was like my way of like connecting with the boys, <laughs> you know, cause it was like, I, yeah, I can't, I'm randomly talking about this, but I was just like boy obsessed at like five. And so five, I was like, man, there you go. I, yeah, there was like this, it was like my sister's friend who's like nine years older but like I was playing sorry with him or something, the game, sorry. And I just remember this, like one of my first moments of like, we were playing sorry. And I think I like lost the game and I was so upset and I started hysterically crying because I wanted to, to show him that I was so fabulous and that I was going to beat him in the game. And, you know, I thought that that would make him like, like me anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So getting a, a sense about, this is a really long winded story, but <laughs> so long with it this is not what you asked for no but... I, I like I like the story though I like it thank you for sharing it <laughs> so so I think I was I, I think I had a hard time fitting in because I was such this like earthy like artistic kid who was also like a super athlete you know so it was sort of this like I wasn't a girly girl but like you know, I love Barbies and, um, I had like a Barbie dream house, but I was also like, I love meat Ninja Turtles. <laughs> and I just, uh, yeah, yeah. so I would write stories and my mom would really encourage me. She was like, wow, you're, you know, really good at like art and telling stories. And so she put me into like an acting like art camp. Um, and I think that's like where they filmed, um, school ties and like huge movies. It was like right next to us. So it was like a very, like in Chris Evans, we went to the same acting camp. And so I knew, I think I was like nine and I was like, what is this acting thing? I was like, yes, I love it. (laughs) Telling stories was my thing, but I just, you know, um, I would, when I went as a kid, I would watch plays and I would be like, oh my God, that's the dream. And like, I, I I loved it more than more than like anyone, you know, um, like musicals. And so I just, like, I was, I was obsessed, uh, like bye bye birdie was like my favorite (laughs) as like a five-year-old. It's crazy. Um, yeah. So I just, I think I knew that this was like being an artist, you know, and a storyteller, like my, my teachers would always encourage this. And I I had a fourth grade teacher, Mr. Tykotsky, who like pulled my mom aside and was like, you need to encourage this. 
you know, cause I just, you know, being an artist and painting and writing. And so I think that that manifested, you know, later in life, obviously. And then, mm. you know, my mom was always like, Hey, you need to become an accountant or, you know, get a real job. Like as a 12 year old. And I'm like, what? But I think like she was trying to be like, you can't like acting is not a real job, you know? And, but I think she would try to, you know, encourage me to have hobbies. And then, but then tennis really took over my life. And, um, I think, like you said, I was a big ball of energy. So my mom was like, all right, we need to give her something to do because she just keeps getting in trouble, like talking too much or not knowing where to put my energy at school. And teachers did not have the patience for me being like a public school and you have like 30 kids. Like, so I think my mom put me in, you know, tennis classes and, um, it was like the second lesson I had and they all started circling around me and being like, Oh my God, I've never seen a kid play like that. I mean, it's kind of wild just think about it, but like, you know, it was so weird because I was always this like, I don't know, like, you know, I'm like wearing pink sweatpants and just feeling like, you know, that's me. Yeah. Or I, feel, I just yeah. feel like yeah. I'm like, I'm not, I, I wasn't like a conformist. I was my own person and I didn't really feel like I fit in anywhere except like, you know, being an artist and an athlete. And so, um, and then when I think they, you know, so coach like pulled me aside and was like, Oh my God, like how long you've been playing. I was like, I was like the second time. Like, I don't know. Like, mm." and then like another coach, like came, you know, and another coach, there was like three coaches at one point on, and I'm like, wow, this is, well, you look at that. So this was like, you know, as a kid who, who didn't really get any attention, um, and wasn't really encouraged, you know, my mom, my parents, like they had, you know, they were working, they, they didn't really have a lot of time. And I was putting like these after daycare. And I think that that was like my way of like acting out or whatever. And I, you know, they just didn't, I don't think they were equipped. Yeah. So, (laughs) so I think the tennis and then suddenly it was like, Hey, Oh my God. Wow. You play tennis. Like, and next thing, you know, I, you know, my mom was like, Oh, well, this is, you know, this is good for her. And, you know, my older sister played tennis and she was like, she was kind of a big deal, like on the, like the high school team. And I was nine at the time. And, and so my mom started putting me in tournaments. And then this one tournament, this coach was like, Oh my God, like, I want to start coaching her and she's going to be number one in new England and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, good luck with that. Like, I don't know. Yeah. All right. <laughs> like I just, like I yeah. was a kid that like was constantly sent to the principal's office and didn't get straight A's and like just was wasn't on class- your like radar. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I was like the class clown. I was always, I was used to my narrative and the story. Probably I told myself like I, I, you know I think at nine it was a really tough year. Like my best friend moved away. The teacher was just weird and like creepy. I didn't like him. Like he just like and I didn't I didn't. Yeah, he would he would make us like write in our diaries. And so I had like a boyfriend, like he was like in fifth grade, I was in third. And so I like wrote all these like journal entries. Like he gave me a Valentine's Day card and said, I love you. He's like, This is inappropriate. How dare you? And I was like, Right, right. That's kind of and then he like scolded me and said that I looked like a waif and I'm always wearing sweatpants. And I was like, My god, it's a little inappropriate. Like what business is that of you? Like, it, it just felt 
like the whole thing is, and he would like dote on like he, he would dote on like actually turned out like one of my best friends but I was always like there's something like super creepers about this man like whether or not like he's doing anything just this whole vibe is like not okay something's like, not right here yeah that's kind of weird really that's not yeah. right like he, he something's just, off yeah something just felt like he was on a power <laughs> trip and like it was just it was just weird and I didn't like it I, I tended to get like the really tough teachers which is horrible but my fourth grade teacher was great. My fifth grade teacher was amazing. And um, that's when my, you know, my teachers, like everything kind of started to fall into place for me. And next thing you know, I'm working with this coach and now I'm playing every day and I'm playing a couple hours a day and now I'm winning tournaments and now I'm being like one in, you know, New England. And then I got chosen for this, like for uh, the 12 and unders, it was like me, like Andy Roddick, like the top 50 oh, wow. best players in the yeah. country were chosen. And, you know, all these like, uh, cr- you know, crazy elite coaches are, you know, are, um, are watching us play and being like, oh, like it was almost like we were being recruited. Like it was, it was really cool. And it was such a big deal. They paid for everything. It was like a big deal to be part of, I think it was called the challenge cup. Mm. And so I was the only person from, New England who was chosen and yeah, it was like, so cool. It was like this, everything, you know, all expenses paid for. So it was like, you know, I was kind of this phenom tennis player too. I mean, not to the extent that like Anna Kornikova was, cause she was truly like a phenom of, you know, at like the pro level winning pro tournaments at 12, but it was still like, I don't know, I guess people could still call that like, you know what I mean? Yeah, in that realm. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so then, um, but I was still, you know, then I would audition. So right around that time, that's when my life really started. I I started. So you were still following, you were auditioning for roles even back then as well, while you were. Well, for our school, what was really interesting, because I love to sing and there was like, we were doing Oliver Twist and I had listened to Oliver Twist like, what was it? I go out. I can't sing right now because my voice just is sh- <laughs> I keep coughing. But yeah. it was the I go anywhere for your smile anywhere, you know, and then like it's the uh, and I did it with an English accent. So I did the full like, you know, yeah, well, and really going yeah. for it. And um, this was like in sixth grade. And so I was or no, yeah, fifth or sixth grade. And at the time, like right before sixth grade, like I was getting straight A's. I was suddenly popular. I was feeling really good about myself. Like suddenly I had never experienced this side of me before. You know, I wasn't getting into trouble anymore. I wasn't getting sent to the principal's office. I wasn't trying to like crack jokes with the boys of, you know, who could be the bigger class clown, like who could say the more like offensive, irreverent joke, you know, to offend people that was sort of like how can how provocative can I be uh and so it suddenly like all that energy was um channeled into my tennis but then I still was an artist I still you know loved acting and so she so the teacher at the time like was like oh my god and like you know, it was like one of those things where I was like whoa you know that she was very encouraging like you need audition for this like like almost like talking, like maybe I could play the lead, but then, you know, and I was practicing and knowing the lot, like, I felt like I was like, I got this. If any kid has it, like I do. But yeah. then 
with my tennis schedule, I was like, you know, asking my coaches, they're like, how dare you? Blah, 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 blah. Like, and then. Yeah, I can imagine. Right. My mom was entering me in this like Macy's be a star (laughs) contest. Doing a a lot as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was like Macy's be a star like thing, like for modeling. And I ended up winning the competition and they're like, we're going to sign you. We're going to be your agent. And I, and my, and then I went back to my coaches, look what happened. And they're like, what are you doing? No way. Like, fuck that. You're not doing that. You're playing tennis. So I was like, "Mm -hmm." which I'm actually kind of grateful for because being like a child prodigy is hard enough, like whatever that is, but being an athlete, I think is a lot better than being a child actor because my God, I don't know how I would have survived that. Like yeah, I, I think I is a envy. yeah, for I don't sure, envy sure. Justin Bieber or Lindsay Lohan or like I mean they're incredible talents, but you know, they've all said like they've paid a real price for it. And it's you know mm. Bella Thorne, you know, all of all the Disney kids are just like, man, like and yeah, so you know, Brittany, my God. Uh well, yeah, exactly. I mean it it, it it's hard enough growing up like in normal circumstances let alone in that environment like it's already so difficult so it's like yeah how, how on earth are you meant to come out of that you know unscathed if you if you grow up in that in the limelight like that as a kid yeah yeah um uh so then so my coaches were like no way you're doing this because it was like oh i'm gonna be like top 50 in the country because it, it you know the yeah. game keeps intensifying and it, you keep like the game, you know, it was sort of, you know, starting off being, um, you know, number one in New England. It's like, yeah, yeah, I've done that. But now it's like, well, we want to get you like a college scholarship, like get like to the top school, like, you know, and then, um, Mm. you know, be, I mean, that was really when, um, so then I was recruited by Andy Roddick's coach, um, his name was Stanford and he recruited me. He's South African. <laughs> and so he, uh, so, so that ultimately, like I started trying out, I don't know if that's, I feel like that I was around. I feel like it's my best South African. Um, I like it. <laughs> so, so I was recruited and I, I went, I tried out like a few different places, uh, academies and I tried Palmer Academy. I tried, Rick Macy's. I tried. God, what else? I think was it Rick Macy somewhere? Oh, anyway. Um, but then I ultimately I landed at Everett. So I was playing like a national tournament. And so I got recruited by Andy Roddick's coach and it just felt like the best fit. And then I moved down there and then, you know, I was like on my own at like 12, you mm. know, or 13. And that was, that was a That's really hard, tough yeah. investment. It was so hard. So yeah. like initially my coach had moved down to Florida um, and I had been working with him. And then um, I think for about like, yeah, for like six months, but I was just, I was homeschooled. I didn't really have friends. I was like in a deep state of depression. And then I came back. And at the time, like mm. I, it's funny because it, suddenly I was like, you know, I was popular. I was doing so well in school. 
I was like dating Mr. Popular. And then suddenly like, I, you know, I was like, "Mm, I'm not, I'm going to break up with you. Like, you don't call me enough. And the next thing you know, like everything came crashing down during like sixth grade. It was just like a, I had to move up to the next age group. And then (laughs) I've told, I've told like now, weirdly that guy who I broke up with, we're, we're now friends, Brad Mendoza, but it was really like for whole, like big full circle, but um, but for sixth grade was so tough. I was like bullied, you know, for like that whole year and like trying to survive it like every day. And all my friends suddenly were no longer my friends. And so I was so isolated. I went from like zero to hero back to zero, Mm. (laughs) you know, and like my one friend, Sharice, who was amazing. Um, but yeah, so then at that point, like my grades were slipping because it was constantly like worrying about all this other stuff of like constantly getting bullied, you know? And like, I think I walked in, like, I I felt so pretty. I walked in with this, like this like shirt that was kind of tight. And I think I was like just develop developing at the time. And all the boys like started making throw up sounds. Like as I walked in, like like, brutal. So mean. Yeah. So brutal. But like, but it's so interesting, you know, because you, uh, you, you know, I was like, I never cried. I never, ever, ever cried. Like no matter what they said to me, I was so tough. I was like you. So it was like this weird thing where I would go to tennis and I would suddenly be popular or I would go. Um, I grew up s- ski racing and I had like my group of friends there. And suddenly it was like, this is so like bizarre to go from like, you know, to school to, I don't know. So that was definitely, yeah, I'm giving yeah. you like the whole background. We're getting a full full back history there, but you were getting like conditioned to like bottled it up and like just push through things and get yeah, validation, it, I guess, through competing and whatever. So else. weird. And then like literally a year ago, um, after my house burned down, that's when I was like, you know what, maybe this is my way of having a timeout and being able to cry and really like process everything. So finally, like I just I sat with myself and just cried about like like I was doing Allowed this like, it to all. Yeah. And this lady yeah. and suddenly I'm like, why is Brad Mendoza, David Irwin coming up for me right now of like this whole, yeah, like, yeah. I was, like, like whatever. So and that was so, all coming up in that, in that process, all these things from and like, so, I was, so like, long just ago. Finally crying and releasing. Wow. It. Like, wow. That's crazy. So that it's pretty insane, isn't it? Like it's been held. So you, all those things were held on for so long from like when you were, if you kid. never cry about them, if you never process still them, in there. always mm. push through. I think what I was doing, I was pulling up a thread of my relationship yeah. with men and, you know, going all the way back to boys and my first initial relationships. And so I had pulled up this thread and I kept following and I kept following it and kept following it all the way back to like, what were those first moments like? Like, what were those you know, early moments that define me. And so I, I was trying yeah. to process it and move through it so I could properly look at it. And weirdly, like now, like Brad and I are friends and like, you know, we had talked like, and you know, I love him dearly. And, um, and, you know, one of his other best friends became like my other best friend, you know, for a good portion of my life. And then David Irwin, who was like, I was like <laughs> in love with him. And like when I was like five or something, like I just right, right, right. went him, I love him. Um, <laughs> so stupid. But then years and years later, and he was the meanest to me. He was like, 
the worst to me, but then processing that, like, you know, like so many years later and like letting it go and, you know, saying what I needed to say so many years later, be like, Hey, you guys were really assholes to me. Just so you're aware, you know, we like dealt with everything and it was like, we moved past it. And then when my father died, he was like, he, I hadn't spoken to him in 10 years, showed up at my father's wake. And I was like, wow, it's funny how life works like that. Um, so, so anyway, so like I, after this really tough time, I moved to, um, moved to Florida on my own and had to really kind of like find my footing. And finally, Mm -hmm. you know, I found a really great coach who was incredible to me. And, um, I learned so much from him and that's when, yeah, that was actually some of my favorite years was like 16. And that's when like, I was hitting my stride of, as I was being sponsored by Nike, I was working so hard. I was top 10 in the country or six in the nation. Uh, I was like, um, yeah, well, me and Ashley Harker road. Like I lost to her. We were so close. Like I lost to her in the Easter bowl in the quarters. And I beat the number one seed who was Amber Liu, who's now married to John Chang. And so right, um, right, right. And she, she was, yeah. she was top in the world, I think, but so oh yeah, God, so you- like, Company Maddox. I had a win over her. Well, I mean, in like practice, <laughs> played a win's a win. But like, yeah, she's number one in doubles uh, in the world right now, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wise. Um. So yeah, that's when. But then I always kept getting pulled back to acting, into you know, some. I think I was eighteen and had kind of like achieved all the things I wanted. I was about to go to Duke. And then I had hurt my back and then suddenly started singing the national anthem for the basketball games. And then my mom would enter me in this, like another like modeling contest and won it. I was on the cover of like something small, like book of magazine. And so, and then I started taking acting classes and the next thing you know, I'm like working with this manager and six months later, we're having songs being played on the radio and Y 100. And wow. So it's gone from like, it's just like one thing to another. And it's just like, progress organically progress like yeah that. Uh, and so I had a you know I had a music career for a while I had several songs playing on the radio I had a song with Fat Joe um I yeah I think it was like right before I was 18 I was supposed to open for 98 degrees but I had a full ride to Duke so my mom was gonna kill right. me she's like if you blow <laughs> Duke off I will kill you fair enough um so yeah. So then like my sophomore year, there was a song with Fat Joe and, um, and that ended up becoming like a top requested song and like various radio stations in like Jesus. around Florida. And it, it was played on like major radio stations and that was really cool. And so, um, and then I started to really pursue that. And then I was like a, a semi finalist in like sports illustrated. So I was kind of, but then like doing commercials moving into and, that world. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then, had had you made the decision at that point to like sort of um, give up on the tennis, or were you still sort of in that I world up as on well? The or my sophomore year, our, our fr- my freshman yeah. year, we had won uh, NCAA's. We were, you know, number one in the country. It was like you know Stanford and Duke, and and we had at the time we were like number one, like a good portion of that year, and and it was just. I realized I was like, wow, like this is just too competitive. And it's, this is Mm. more of what I don't want anymore. You know, I thought I was coming into like sisterhood, but like you're coming into some of the best players in the world, like people who are going pro and people who are like 
top 50 or 80 in the world, like on the team, like it was like Ansley Cargill, I think, who like went pro, like I took her scholarship because she had left her sophomore year. And so, yeah, it was just like, it was just so competitive. And I just was like, I, I had realized what I was looking for was like love and connection and sisterhood, you know, on the team and, you know, in such a competitive environment, like it didn't. It's so, yeah, I guess. And it's never ending. It's like um, being um, very like open and warm. Yeah. For sure. Like that was, you were conditioned your whole life to be, have a myopic focus for yourself. So I think to come on a team where we didn't really, understand what you know being a teammate was I mean I think we had done intersectionals where we had like this kind of team style and I loved it and I was like the team captain and I loved it like it was like and we would cheer each other on like it was exactly what I was like looking for but I think because we were just everyone was always constantly like it feels like Saturday Night Live in terms of like the competitiveness where it was like everyone's yeah. spot everyone's like it just felt oh, so cutthroat and I just think it was the environment that if you're you know people are looking to go pro people are so I just think it's so hard yeah it's like so, um yeah so so at no, the time so I would like book like the lead in a play and then I'd have to turn it down Mm. every time and I was like oh my god this is this is my childhood again and I'm like I'm done I don't want to do this anymore I'm sick of turning things down so that's when I had given up my scholarship and so I was still at Duke um but now I was like you know right before I was eating my feelings I was like Mm. 20 pounds overweight I was like because I was on the bench because everyone was you know an incredible tennis player so I was like Mm. I was undefeated in doubles, but I wasn't on, like, I would sometimes play singles, but we were so stacked. Yeah. Such an incredible team that it, it, you know, these were all former number one players in the country. Like I was, was I was number six in the country, but everyone else was like number one since they were 12, like in the world, in the country, like Kelly McCain, I think was top five in the world or something crazy or top 10 in the world as juniors. Like, number six is still so high yeah it's like number six in the world in the world but wow well yeah that's insane no no no. i mean i was six in the country yeah she was yeah 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 they were in the world you know i was like i was right there like yeah you were yeah i was i was i was right there splitting sets or about to beat or like almost beating people who are top 10 or top 20 in the world yeah 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 that's pretty freaking high yeah like and but it's yeah, I think it's so good you had like that self-awareness, I guess, from what you're saying at that point that you knew, well, okay, if I go down this path, I'm going to be stuck in, like you're saying, so hyper-focused that I can't develop as much as a person and do the other things I want to do. And is it really, you know, worth sacrificing that much? And I mean, you see it in like Michael Phelps, he talked about being suicidal after winning. It's so true. Like I, the best Olympic that, athlete in history. And yeah, I heard that. I'm like, it's crazy. But I, I and I interviewed um, an Australian gold medal winning um, diver on this podcast. And he talked about a similar thing. He developed an ice addiction after winning a gold medal and was suicidal. And he said, you know, and his whole life he had built, since a kid, he was like, the gold medal was the pinnacle of what he wanted to achieve and then you get and it he got and there and he said he, ne- he never felt more hollow than when he got it he felt good for like maybe a few hours and the next day 
he never felt, you know, more depressed because you get it and you're like, oh, now I'm meant to just be happy for the rest of my life because I've done this thing. And it's not the case. You got to like life. Nobody cares. That's the thing is no one gives a shit except you. Yeah, that's no, no, because they 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 care in the moment and then then it's for a little bit because you're along for the ride and then you're like, let's say, yeah, exactly. It's like you're watching Michael Phelps be so great, or you know, you're like, wow, you did it, yeah, cool, all right, honey, hey, what's for dinner? (laughs) You know, and you go about your life and you're like, where's my dog? It's so true. You want to go for a walk, Charlie? You want to go out? Like, it's so so true, yeah. And it's just like, and that goes for anything in life. It's like we worry so much about, oh, am I going to embarrass myself if I do this? Or what if I fail at this? Or what if this happens? And no one gives a shit because we're too, no how, how the hell, how the hell can we? We've got, we've got, we've got to worry about so many things in our own lives every day. You don't have time to sit there and think, oh, that person, or that's so embarrassing that they did that or whatever the, you know, scenario is. It's just like, yeah, good no one has bad. time. It's like it's like, bad, exactly. where it's like yeah. you're like, what? I can't believe that happened. Oh, yeah. Oh, what else is going on today? Oh, well, hey, look who's calling. Hey, how are you? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean? I mean, but surely, like, that must be a difficult thing to deal with in um, in the acting world as well, where you know, there's so it, I guess it is competitive, and there's so many people that are probably caught up in that world, and that becomes you know, the all encompassing thing. and trying to navigate that must be just as difficult in some ways I would guess I mean I'm a little bit from that I haven't done much work but I've you know always found it hard to find the balance with um you know being competitive and obsessive about it or you know and then trying to enjoy it but it must be a thing that that, you know that comes up for you as well or that you notice in there yeah I um when I had to really like look at what I had asked for. So I I've really been able to manifest so many wonderful things in my life, but you've done so much. It's crazy. I'm like, this is it, insane. Well, yeah. yeah, but it's, it's kind of wild because there's been so many things that like, as a kid, like even, I don't know, like I'm being super transparent, but uh, guys who I've had crushes on who I had my post like posters on my wall of them and then I would end up dating them like, you know, 10, 15, yeah, that- 20 years later, like as a kid, like one of my favorite movies, I'm not going to say, but like as a kid, <laughs> I was like, I love you. And then I ended up dating him, you know, and then. I want to, you know, I, like, I need to oh, find out right. what movie this is now. I want to, I'm going to, ha- ha- I'm going to find out. <laughs> tell tell, yeah. Okay. Not, tell me after we, we won't disclose it on here. No, but, but it's been interesting. Um, that must like, be like a surreal thing though. That's so weird. Like being a kid looking at, and then that must, when that happened, it must've felt it's kind of the same thing. Bizarre. And so, then you realize, but you realize, hang on, this is like, it's a person. Like, oh, no, well, I think the, here's the thing about manifestation. The it's sort of like, I, I literally wished on every fucking star <laughs> possible to go to Duke University on a full ride. I think whatever right. that was, it meant that I had a, I had arrived. That meant that I was someone. Um, my sister had got it, it into my head that that was a great school. Like it is a great school, but like I was sold on the guy running theme that the guys were hot. So it was there a great go, school. It was know. a great, like great, like amazing. And they were the number one team. So they were like right. a top tennis team. So it hit all the notes. 
ticked like, like every box. Yeah. Every box like that. It was Duke or Stanford. And I right. thought if I don't go to Duke, I would rather have the world end. Like not just me, me end, the whole world so they don't see that I'm a failure. <laughs> and like, what a terrible narcissistic thing. I mean, you know, you're 17, 16 at the time, but I remember thinking yeah. like, if this doesn't happen, my life is over. Like I want it like, bah, like so dramatic. It's so funny, like, yeah, looking back, like when you, so you know, weird. at that age, like you realize you're like a baby at that age and you, but then you, at the time you're like, I remember being like 20 and being like, if I'm in the next year, if I don't have all this stuff happen, I'm my, I'm a failure. If I can't like be a huge success at 21, I'm like, you're, you're a kid. Like, you know, what? it's crazy. Like it's, crazy. life goes for a long time. And so what was, so finally, like, right before like scholarships were being offered and I'm like, it's never going to happen. So I think I had to like, I went up to the coach and I was like, it was like. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. My one of my, my best friend, my doubles partner's uh, father was like, hey, you should like, cause I was like, Duke is my favorite. And like, you know, we're at this tournament and there's all these like recruiting, you know, coaches and there's Duke. And I'm like, well, he didn't, he didn't approach me. So like all the, you know, Northwestern approached me and like, you know, Vanderbilt and like, but he didn't like me. Like he, you know, and he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> go over there, say hi. And I was like, okay. All right. Yeah, I'm gonna do, uh, okay. So I go over there and, you know, I was like, I would love to like, you know, and so that was, you know, and, but I remember thinking like, this is never going to happen. Like I, I felt so lucky to even get a, like a recruiting trip. I was just like, I had already, it was such a big ask. And like the people were a little bit better than me at the time, like who were getting like to going to Stanford. I mean, they had been like mm. the number ones. And I was like a former number six player who's now ranked 23 in the country. Cause I injured my back. And so I'm like, that's it. I'm a failure. You're never going to want me. <laughs> so stupid and I just remember like the stories that we tell ourselves yeah so I'm like going on campus and I'm just like man this is the dream this is the this is the place I want I love it so much but also like I had let go of the the idea of Duke because I thought it was so out of reach so I was like you know what life isn't gonna end it's gonna be okay I had already accepted that maybe it wasn't gonna happen and I was like okay you know maybe it's not gonna happen maybe it's not meant to be and that's when I got the call hey you you know I was like like this whole point so it's interesting about like manifesting things in your life and then they finally happen you know so it was sort of like you know the men in my life who I've had crushes on and you know or obsessed over like the movies of like you're so dreamy and I love you um but yeah like and that happened like 20 like 20 years later or 15 yeah 15 to 20 like kind of you know so many years later where I forgot that I had like you know that I looking back and then you're like I was going through like an old photo album that my mom like still had or whatever and one of the photos like 
had the guy on the poster. I was like, and I literally had just like come from my house had just like burned down and we had just like dated. And I was like, the poster of him is on the wall. And I'm just like, this is weird. This is really like a big surreal moment. So, but it's interesting because once, once you also get those things, it's like, you know, the guy ended up being like a really great person, you know, he, he definitely had been coming out of like a, his own trauma and his own like stuff, but really wonderful. But like realizing like, Oh, like you're your own person, mm. you know, we're not a fit, like obviously, but it's interesting. Cause you just, it's like these fairy tale scenarios. We like you just play out and it, it's for. like, exactly. So it, I it, yeah. don't think I had properly understood what I was really asking for. Mental health and well-being are real issues in the construction industry. Men in construction are twice as likely to take their own life compared to the ones who work in other industries. And that's just not good enough. With John Holland's help, we want to make a change. We've joined together to have honest conversations about mental health, life, and stories of people who have overcome challenges. When we hear about stories and struggles that sound a bit like ours, we can learn from each other and remember that we're not alone. So we're talking about sort of manifesting things and then like when you actually get them, they're not, not what they seem or it's like different than what you imagine, I guess. It's like you're sort of yeah, talking a, about a friend that. Of mine, and... One of my really good friends had told me that um, like, you know, the fantasy becoming a nightmare because you haven't, you're projecting this fantasy like onto someone or something and yeah. then not fully understanding like your own values, what you actually yeah. like really want, yeah. you know, and this idea of what this like fairy tale is and not taking into to account, like, let's say a person's values or, or what this represents. So it's kind of like my a, yeah. biggest fear because I always, after getting everything I wanted in, in tennis, my biggest yeah. fear was, you know, getting like an, like having an amazing like career and then like winning an Oscar and, you know, being like here to, you know, and being like alone celebrating it. Like that feels like I'd want to kill myself. Like that was always like my biggest fear was being alone while celebrating because I had you, I had made such sacrifices to Mm. get here. And now I have no one to celebrate this with, you know, you have everything and nothing that it exactly. Yeah. All the end of the day, things that don't really mean anything. I mean, sure. Like they do, if you use them properly. Um, and if you understand about balance, but if you don't, then, then that's, you know, a really terrifying thing to have everything and nothing, because I do kind of feel like, I don't want to say like matrixy, but I do think like a lot of things like are kind of an illusion and it's like the real, like nature feels really grounding and very real to me. And, you know, like the, I mean, if we're getting like really out there, but like the eternal forces Mm. of life, because one day we will all die and we will go back to the earth. So there is this sort of like spiritual realm that is really important to me. And I think like the superficial things I love, they're fun. Yeah. I love, you know, good clothes and nice things. In- but I, shit, I'm like, my, my you, shoulder just fell. I'm like, Jesus, are you okay? The, yeah. you, yeah. I seem um, no, but I'm still drunk from like, no, you're I'm drunk st- from I'm like drunk relief. Charlie, Dr- drunk <laughs> on relief from Charlie. No, but it's so true. Like, and it, I think it's, um, 
it's so incredibly hard to find the balance though with like the external stuff and and it because it, it's it, it's like you know it's enjoyable external things but then that's not what's going to give you happiness but then you also you sort of need them but then how do you how do you find that balance of like okay i want to achieve this or i want to do that or i want to have this but um it's i'm also not going to base my happiness on that thing happening and um yeah. and and i think yeah it's like often we tell ourselves oh, i can only give myself permission to have a relationship or to um, enjoy myself when X happens. And then you're like missing out on all the actual important parts of life. So it's like, so tricky to find the balance and all of those things. And you see it with, you know, people that are striving for um, money and I've met, you know, people worth huge amounts of money. And a lot of them are the most unhappy people I've ever met because their whole narrative has been, I just, you know, through insecurity or whatever, I need to make this much money and then I'll be enough, then I'll be accepted. And they get to, you know, later in life, they've made the money, they're alone, they're then trying to buy friends or, and it's just like, well, what's money? Like we all need money, but it's not going to make you more happy. It's like we can, all the important, like what you're talking about before, like going into nature. It's $70,000 or, or $80,000 you know, that it's like a certain, yeah, and, uh, exactly. I think it was like 80000 Like beyond yeah. that amount, it's like, like zero. you're not going to be any happier, right? It's just like yeah. you want your basic yeah. needs met, you know? Um, I mean, look, yep, like exactly. I think about money. Money is a great tool. And money, if it's – you, if, it's really nice when you don't have to worry about money. Well, it's stressful <laughs> when you like have to worry about us, money. It's not yeah. the case right now, you know? But it, it's a yeah. nice – Then like, it's, it's, it's not, stressful. It's like, yeah. Right. When you're constantly having to, to worry about that, then it is an added stress – And, you know, and it is cool to be able to be like, wow, money can give you the opportunities to do lots of really like amazing things, like to travel to, you know, um, I have like, I I do pole dancing. I have a pole in my house and like, just, I do it for me, (laughs) but I mean, I do it for, I do it for me. Um, I love, I love dancing. And so like my sort of thing is like, if I had extra money would like get like a choreographer so I could like learn all these amazing dances, like not just pole dance. Cool. I just yeah. mean like, you know, like the dance videos that like on TikTok, yeah, yeah, yeah. TikTok but like, like from the dance studios that are like professional dancers, like that's what I would want to do. Like yeah. I would spend hours yeah. and be like, I want to have a private session and I need somebody to like force me to be there because I hate working out, but I would actually love it because it would have, you know, so yeah. Or learning like Krav Maga, like with a teacher. So I feel like those are things like I would want to cultivate. Um, it's harder to do it on your own, you know? Um, so when you have like a set thing or having like, I'm, you know, thinking about like, what would it be like, you know, having like a great chef to like make you amazing food and having like a great, like, you know, health person to like come over and, you know, like all those things, like For sure. that would be, yeah. those are the things I feel like I would, want to spend my money on and going to like great um places like around the world and hotels and yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean and, that and, and that's good yeah and it's like it's enjoyable and it's more comfortable and, you know, I think it would be... what I would spend my money on and then like an occasional really nice like YSL bag but like there's only really... or buying you, you know that. or like buying a house like somewhere you know like really but I mean like other than that like I wouldn't have like three four cars like that feels like a such a waste of money to me like I feel like yeah. there's a lot of things I just wouldn't just excess you, know, you can't like yeah like I how much buy a can, boat. value I, I mean I, I think like you know my friend just bought a boat like he actually it's kind of almost like a 
considered a yacht and so it's like really yeah. cool so i'm like but i wouldn't want the maintenance i'm like man that's such a headache like for me no, I, 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 I always want to rent that. a boat if i had a lot of money i'm like shit oh rent a just, boat just be friends with people that have boats i I'll always say i'll go to my friend and be like yo that's, you have a boat we're on a boat it's better that's it uh, that's the way to do it. Just be friends with people that boats. Don't don't bother with all of the maintenance. Yeah, and other everything. than that, like it doesn't. It gives you more opportunities. That's that's all it does, and it's a tool to do really cool things and learn cool. Like it gives you more opportunity to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Um, things that might be like harder out of your reach, but I mean, happiness is such a fleeting thing, and I think um, I really like this. I've been reading uh, Jordan Peterson's new book, and I know he's somewhat controversial, but, uh, really like I've listened to so many of his, um, like psychology classes that he posted online. Like they're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. They're so amazing. And I, and I, those are like, you know, I feel like he doesn't really get a fair shake in the media. And I think people like really try to, you know, destroy him, (laughs) man, this is so, this is so crazy. There was a, there was a guy who I went on a date with and I went on and on and on how great Jordan Peterson is. This is before his book before, like, this is like 2017. And I was like, he's so great. Blah, 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 blah. Cause I, I love learning and I love, you know, I learn, you know, I love learning about psychology. And so he was such a force in my life. Yeah. Like he's like the father of the internet. And so yeah. I really, you know, he's like, I feel like, so he talks about having rather have like a purpose because that can help you get through the really tough times. And that makes a lot of oh. sense to me where it's like, yeah. sure. Like happiness is a byproduct of doing things that are healthy. I think like having a healthy balance in your life and doing things that are healthy in every aspect, I think will yep. like, that'll be a byproduct of doing like really good things for yourself and good, good things for your community and your friends and your family. Yeah. I think that that will, um, yeah, but to have a purpose that can, you know, keep you going because we've been sold a bill of goods that like life is about happiness and that's just not the case, you know, because well, like, I think, yeah, it's how do you about explain like, it for think, life is suffering and like that people get sick well, or. Exactly. I don't think the, the word happiness is wrong. Like happiness should mean like purpose and meaning. And then cause that's what life's about. It's not like the happiness is like feeling that sort of grounded, nice, calm feeling. Even if, if something good or bad's happening, it's like, you've got, meaning and purpose it's not this you know chasing a high that's just like a drug you know it feels good but then it will go away or whatever but it's um no i i remember i heard joe biden um say something about it because he was talking about um you know all the tragedy he's been through with losing his um wife and his first kid and almost losing his sons and then losing his son to cancer and all, all those things and he said the reason he's been able to push on is because it's purpose. He said that can get you through anything. And that's why he's always just had purpose. And every day, get out of bed because I've got a, a purpose that's bigger than me. And I think that's like the most yeah. powerful thing because then it's, you know, that removes your ego. It's like if things are going well or not well or whatever, it's like, well, I've got purpose. I'm, you know, there's a reason, a bigger reason why I'm doing it. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was this, uh, I was, yeah. I, uh, I concur. <laughs> um, the wait, the other, but the what was interesting? There was another added story about this guy who I had gone on date with, went on and on and on and on and on about how <laughs> oh, about great, Peterson, yeah, yeah, about Peterson, yeah. yeah. Turns out 
he works for one of the major networks, major networks. (laughs) And he was like, huh, who's this Jordan Peterson guy, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know what? I think I'm going to interview him. I'm like, great, you should, blah, blah, blah. What does the man do? He tries to destroy him. He was like, yeah, because he's like a right wing. Oh my God, yeah. So he was like going, his narrative was how all these alt-right people like, or, you know, why he's like this alt-right leader. And I was like, the guy is a fucking liberal. Like he- I think it, it's just misunderstood because he's so blunt in the way he says it. But if you actually like listen to it properly, it's all very like- No, I mean, he even says like, he's, like so. he's, 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 he's addressed that, that he's, um, yeah, he, cause I, I went searching for it. I'm like, like, all right, fine. Like, let's actually get down to- down a business because he's not an alt-right guy like at all like he's telling like alt-right I think he his focus had been like the radical left and like he was saying both extremes are really bad like somewhere to be like in the middle and that's kind of like where I'm I'm in the middle you know because I can yeah I think it's important to understand both sides whether or not you agree with it or not so you could yeah because we're human beings at the end of the day so to try to understand your fellow man I think is really important and and then be like okay i hear that but have you thought of this have you thought of that so yeah. versus like trying to shame somebody for what they're thinking like they're only going to double down you know no, no matter that's what like you're on, and the world's down the more you try to shame them they're gonna you know yeah. and so i think that there's we can you know try to understand one another and i think the more that we can talk to one another and and try to be open and you know and also like if people are doing terrible things to be like hey this is really fucked up like why are you doing this like why do you think this way and i think that's kind of how i've always approached life is when i've gotten into really like terrible situations um my way is to try to or if people have done really terrible things my first instinct is to try to understand, you know, and be like, how did you get here? You know, and try to put myself in their shoes to be like, okay, so you made this choice, this choice, this choice, this choice, and now it's led you here. Like, I think that's so important because like we're taught, you know, that people are too judgmental without, and you know, if someone does something wrong, that's not good or whatever, but there's not enough understanding or education. And it goes back to, we're not taught how to, you know, be more self-aware or understand other people or think critically about these things. But it's so true because people will just label people or say, no, that person's damaged or that, you know, they're this when it's like, well, what is the, you know, chain of events that happened to, to lead them to that? Yeah. Um, I think it's such yeah, a good I had point. My, my uncle was killed. He, he was murdered, you know, just walking like he was like a oh my God. robbery gone wrong you know, and I was just absolutely Whoa. horrified and beside myself, you know, when it happened. Um, terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you don't have to agree with someone and you cannot, like, obviously I think that person's in jail, but, you know, I'm like, what good is it going to do by me hating this person and me, you know, it's just causing more pain. I'm like, you've not only ruined so many, like my, you know, cousin's lives, like you've now ruined your own life. And like, I guess he had a girlfriend, like you've ruined her life. Like she's traumatized. And like, 
maybe if you have kids, like you've ruined, you know, you've really like ruined their lives. Yeah. I mean, or like maybe it's not ruined, but really traumatized and caused so much pain and, and terrible things. You've, you've sent a ripple into this lake or ocean and it's, it's caused such a rippling effect. You know, I mean, for me, it's like when something terrible happens, I try to find the benefits because there's always like when my house burned down, it was, it was such an interesting feeling, like going back to see the house. And I was so like, I was like, oh, this is what's happening. I'm totally disassociated right now. Like it was almost like, so I'm driving up and like, you know, up in the mountains or whatever. And I like, I see it and I'm just like horrified because I'm like filming it. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. But I'm by myself. It's the middle of nowhere. Like the air is so bad and toxic. Um, and so I can't really go outside. Like, and so I'm just sort of stuck you know, in this like area. And so it was sort of like this weird, it, it was kind of like, I was like, I was totally so like watching myself, like disassociating. I was like watching myself like yeah. above seeing this moment. And, you know, and it was almost like as if I swallowed the emotion because I wanted to cry, but I like suddenly just couldn't. And then was suddenly like, boop, boop. And then driving down with, with my dog, Charlie, this windy road and being like, I don't care. Boop, boop, boop. Like it was such a weird disconnect where yeah. Paul, my yeah. best friend was like, Hey, I'm really not, I'm really feeling numb and not feeling anything. I feel like future me is a little worried that I'm feeling a little disassociated right now. So call me back. Let me know. Like it, it was, it was kind of like as an actor of understanding, <laughs> like, I was just like, okay, I'm going to appreciate this later in life. I'm like, so weird to to be back in that moment just even for a second but like yeah feeling that it was like I was swallowing an emotion because I feel like I had to go someplace safe to really experience this because I was just nowhere and there was nothing around and it was getting really dark so it was like I Mm -hmm. don't think this is the proper place to have this here like I need to you know and so it was sort of like a and I wonder if that's like a survival mechanism where it's like something happens and then you go to a safe place to experience it. And like, I think so. It's like fight or flight, I guess. It's like you sort of, you know, in tunnel vision until you feel like you are safe and protected. Otherwise you, you know, you're not going gonna... to. It was the, it was the awareness that I had to realize that yeah. like, you know, I'm a little disassociated and I really yeah. don't care. My yeah. house just burned down. I really, I, I was like, I don't care if I live or die. Nothing. I don't feel anything. I'm it's a little, felt, future yeah. me is a little worried, but current me doesn't care at all. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and so that was like such a weird feeling. And then I started to think about it. Like, you know, later I started to process this and I'm like, what happens to people? Like the guy who murdered my uncle, like, is this what happened to him? Like when something terrible happened to him when he was a kid and then terrible things continued to happen where it was like, you never felt safe. So you keep, you keep disassociating the amount of times I feel like you can Mm -hmm. only disassociate so many times until you're stuck, you're stuck and you're separate. So that was like a really interesting like discovery for me to be like, have more empathy. Like the more you go through, the more empathy you have for like the human race. And so that was an interesting thing. Cause I was like, I mean, I'm just kind of thinking about that now and I'm kind of discovering that now. Cause if you compartmentalize, so if you disassociate so many times you're compartmentalizing something and you're putting it like you have your body here and your spiritual self just kind of like lifts off and goes way up here. And is like, and the more, 
I feel like the more you do that, the more you don't deal with stuff, the further up or the further away from yourself you keep getting until that gap is so big that you're so split off. And then you have like sociopaths or psychopaths where it's like they feel nothing because they were never like I, I maybe like they never felt safe enough to like feel like those emotions and process those things. And yeah, so, I mean, that crazy. was sort of an interesting thing. Like that was such an interesting moment to kind of discover, like, this is just one terrible moment that happened to me, mm. you know? Um, and honestly, like compared to so many other people, like that wasn't even that bad. You know, um, I mean, it was definitely traumatic and, and challenging, but like, you know, imagine what if like a kid had to deal with all this like craziness over and over and over and then they grow up and then, yeah, you know, and so yeah. that was, you know, I think like as an actor, my, you know, it's our job to always try to understand people and have empathy and put ourselves in somebody else's shoes. So it's always like, I guess when something terrible happens, there's always an opportunity to kind of like discover more you about learn. your own humanity and, you know, how that relates to other people. And Definitely. And I think all the stuff, you know, that relates for acting and those learnings are just important in life because it's like, it's like what you said, if we. Right. We're talking, we're to, getting like, so like, real right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, but it is, it's like hard to have empathy or, you know, understand if you haven't had been through pain yourself you know you need to experience things in life good and bad to be able to then relate to other people well it's and just going to happen you live long enough it be like, pretty hard not to happen it? you yeah. know yeah so exactly like life will happen like it, it, it like good and bad will happen to everyone so and it's just Absolutely. how you like yeah. how you frame it like obviously like processing it, but then like how you frame it and how you use it. Like, I think that's some of my really closest well, friends were when, when I lost my home, um, they had said like, you can cry about this and like, you have every right to, or you can turn this into something like amazing, like use all this energy and channel it for good, like channel yeah. it into something amazing. And so that was my first real lesson of like, how can I alchemize this and turn this into something amazing? And next thing you know, it was like, you know, we were doing like a music video and like all this like wonderful things started happening. That's when I met like the okay. guy with the, who had the poster on my wall, like literally I was, ah, like, universe. I was like my house burned down and now I'm staying in his home. That's where the poster guy came about. Yeah. There you so, go. Tall, yeah. I'm swinging on the swing. I'm swinging. I'm swinging the swing in his like backyard and being like, what is this life? Like my house just burned down. Now the guy who used to have poster on my wall is a, is a kid. I'm in his home swinging on a swing. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's so weird because like, I didn't have a place to stay. So he was very kind enough to like, let me stay there. It was wonderful. Like such a gentleman and was great. Yeah. It's so it, strange. It, it, isn't it? It, the it chain, the chain of events. Been, yeah. It couldn't have been like a better, but it was such a surreal moment. Cause I was like, I feel like I'm like, this is like a, what, what kind of matrixy thing is this? Like, it was such a like crazy, like to have such a crazy thing happen. And then to have another, such an equally crazy thing happen that was great, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and I think that's just, I think that is sort of what happens in life. Like when something 
dramatic happens, something comes out of it. Or it's like when you, if you always just take the easy road and don't move out of your comfort zone, you know, you're not, you're going to limit yourself, but whenever you do something and everyone's like, don't do it. That's too crazy. Don't do this. When you go and do it, always something, you know, comes out of it. And I think it, it is, it's just like important in life to like, not feel, not just get complacent. It's like just to yeah. always be doing new things and challenging yourself and everything else. So, but yeah, th- thank you for sharing all of this. I mean, we've gone long, over, normally it's about an hour. I think we've gone over time. I'm conscious of like yeah. not wanting to take too much of, no, no, it's good. Like, I just don't want to take too I much. I feel like of I spoke so candidly no, about I've my lo- childhood. Well, thank you for sharing it. It's like, it, I think, you know, it's so, I've, yeah, I've been like, found it so interesting, all the stuff you've talked about. And it's like touched on, I've, I've, I feel like, yeah, we've been fed your whole like sort of life story to a degree. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean. It's been interesting. Yeah. And then um, I guess the film that I have coming out is uh, King, King Richard with Will Smith, which is about the tennis world to bring it back to the world. And so what was so surreal when I was reading the script, it blew me away because they captured the child prodigy's life so well and kind of how kind of broken we were a little bit where, you know, I had so many wonderful, amazing moments, but my God, you're dealing with like adults, neuroses and abusive behavior. Like sometimes like parents, would do the craziest shit. Like I, I had a best friend and her mother would like, you know, hire like a line, like a line judge to be on the court there because like, you know, it was like, you know, saying like claiming I'm a cheater or whatever, or like, this is just, you know, and then it's just but insane. Then this, yeah. But then having like a, a lines judge right behind me, like, like shuffling as I was like playing, they're not, they're supposed to be at the center, not. And so it was like, I was like, what is going on? Because none of this is okay. And then she would, you know, like the the mother would like spread crazy rumors just about everyone. Like she was just, she did this to everyone, you know, but I was number one. So it was sort of like, I'm going to, and she used to be ranked ahead of me. So now we had flipped and we had the same coach and she was not happy about it. And she started, she wanted to take down the coach. And so you know, she tried to take down the coach. She tried like, and it was really sad, you know, because me and, you know, her daughter were best friends and she was like, my mom's crazy. Like, what can you do? do? Yeah. It's like, you know, so crazy. And it was really sad. And my mom would get really upset and she's like, this is so inappropriate. This is so not okay. And then you, you know, go to other tournaments and you would see, um, yeah, you would see parents screaming at like, children like screaming like there was one there's one guy who got banned from all the tennis like it's it it wasn't it's insane like we were we you're thrust into like like so many adult situations as children and you know it but like it was a lot of toxic situations like abusive toxic situations that just was not okay and so um i think they really captured that world so well and i think that's why uh uh richard it's williams amazing. wanted to take his kids out of junior tennis just because he could see the how toxic it was and right, you know i mean right. obviously like anything else there's always like there's benefits to learning the when the when the masks are off 
about like when people really want something, you know, how it's like the ugliness of humanity and like what people are like willing to do (laughs) that you're just like, wow, this is like a really like, this is like a Coen brother film, like of like best in show or something, but it's like the Coen brothers where it's like, you could just almost see like a murder happening, you know, or like a Tanya Harding sort of situation, but like a funny, like black comedy, like of like the Coen brothers. Yeah. 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 And that's, and it's, so that's like such a full circle moment for you getting that film. Like that's, it's pretty cool. It's like everything combining into one thing and yeah. Yeah. It's crazy how, how the world works. (sighs) So that's that's amazing. Well, Um, thank you for, for sharing it all. And we, we finish every, um, or is there anywhere for anyone listening that, that if they want to look you up or see about the films you have coming out, just your Instagram, yeah. oh, I guess? The Purge. The Purge. Is, the Purge. I'll, yeah. I'm doing, um, yeah, the Purge film of the, uh, um, whatchamacallit, the franchise. The franchise. I think this is like the last I love one those films. Anyway. So, That's so cool. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. So, I mean, and um, yeah, the the king and the king richard i think is coming out and that's with will smith who i just amazing i love i i love him like i just you know we we all grew up with will smith like um, fresh prince and like he was the consummate ultimate movie star for like i always like identified with like how he looked at the world and you know how he was just so positive and how he was like I just felt like a kindred soul and it was so cool to work with him. And, um, and he was just so like, we just immediately got like, we're just like, Oh yeah. Like we, it was like really cool. It's kind of that feeling where we thought we would like totally get along and we totally did, you know, it was just like that kind of be like, you know, like I know you. And I'm like, yeah, like it was just sort of that feeling of a kindred soul. So that felt amazing. Another one of the, another one of those like surreal, experiences that you've had where it's like and now it doesn't surprise me anymore it's so it's like it's like become yeah this is the weirdest thing is when the way that you manifest it is you have to let it go you say i want this or like but then but also like ask yourself really intelligently why do i want this and like really go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and get to the root of like will this you know, is it because it's a superficial reason of like fame or success or like money, or is it, is there like, you know, because you want to tell great stories or you want to, um, this is your purpose and like, like, you know what I mean? If there's a deeper reason, then, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a lot more, it has to be. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a lot more like lasting and you'll be happier and it'll be more balanced, but exactly. Yeah. It's, but it's so interesting. So it's like, you ask for the thing, but you have to just forget that you asked for it and like completely put it out of your mind and know that it'll happen and just be like, boop, boop. like completely sure, let it go. I, that's I'm, always when it comes. It's so, yeah, it's so true. And it's like, yeah, it's hard to do, but it's like, yeah, put it, put it out there and then just let, have it in the back of your mind and just let it sort of flow and happen totally. when it happens. Yeah. Which is a hard balance of it. Um, well, yeah, thank you again. We, I don't know if you've got time. We finish. These are just like one line answers or whatever comes to mind. We've got like five Great. questions. We finish every interview Great. with. Um, so yeah, you can say like short answers to these, but, Great. um, the first one is, um, best childhood memory that, that comes to mind. Ski racing, um, being on the chairlift nice. when it's snowing 
or so good. like in Waterville Valley where I used to ski race. Cause I grew also grew up skiing. Um, there was a candy store <laughs> and I would go to the can like, that was my favorite hangout, the candy store. So I would like walk there. Like it would, you know, it'd be like a mile where you would walk. So it was always like Waterville Valley in the snow you know, just on the chairlift, just looking at the snow, being with nature or walking through the snow to the candy store. Hey, well, two very good things. That's so, that's so cool. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Um, what, what would you say, like a lot of this podcast is about mental health, what would you say is the biggest burden on mental health in society at the moment? We don't talk about or, it enough. Or one of them. Yeah. Um, I, I think we're just scratching the surface. Um, yeah. Uh, real quick, I, yeah. I had pretty, like, I had a lot of trauma in my life and, you know, from past relationships and, um, you know, I, I've done, God, I have like, I've gone to Hoffman, like Hoffman Institute, which is like mm-hmm. a very like nice, uh, it's like a week long retreat where you like beat pillows with, or you, yeah, you beat pillows with bats and like, you talk about your feelings and write a lot of letters and Um, I've done like, so, you know, so like I had a Tony Robbins coach, I had a relationship coach. I've like, you know, been in therapy for like seven years and like, I've literally tried, I I did, um, uh, neuro-linguistic programming, you know, to try to understand that helps you understand about you and psychology. And I've like learned so, like, I've watched so many psychology, like, uh, you know, Jordan Peterson and, um, And the thing that I, and I, what was really interesting, I just want to say this real quick. I know we probably have to go, but um, that I've tried all these different modalities and, you know, they were very helpful and very illuminating and it created awareness. So you can be more like, it helps you be more aware, but it couldn't get, my body couldn't get out of that state of like heightened, like, this like hypervigilant. So I was constantly could never relax. I could never get my body out of that. And I tried, like, I had some, I would say like, I had pretty bad, uh, PTSD, <laughs> like not maybe so when, you know, you, I mean, if you compare that to like vets, you know, um, who go through uh, yeah, like, really horrific horrible. thing, yeah. I feel like it was like just beneath that. You know, so it was like PTSD. It's a horrible thing. Yeah. It's like, and so I, I couldn't quite, you know, get to sleep. I couldn't regulate my body. I was constantly, you know, fearing the worst and thinking that some terrible thing. And, you know, I think for a a while, like there was just so many patterns of like terrible things happening. So it was like, Mm. uncle was murdered. It was like all these people died within like a month. And then it was like, I went through a terrible breakup. And then it was like fire, like the house burned down. It was just like, boom, 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 boom. And then processing like a previous relationship that I had, that was really, really traumatic. So it was like, you know, it just, it felt very overwhelming. So there was like a moment where I, that's when I took a time out and just focused for like four or five months. Just, I think I probably cried all the tears I needed to for Mm. like every day for like two hours a day. And I just needed to like cry it out, cry it out for like six months And I was like, okay, I'm done crying. I don't want to cry anymore. Like, I just want to feel normal again. And so I started, Mm. um, I read this book, The Body Keeps the Score. And that was, if you like, you know, you should definitely, if anyone hasn't 
uh, read that it changed my life because it led me to neurofeedback and neurofeedback. Um, they had a, um, they did like a study about, um, so there's like cognitive therapy. There's Mm -hmm. the thing where you do the eyes. What's that called? Uh, uh, not with the eyes, not hypnotism. No, um, no, no, but it's a, it's a certain type of therapy, but I'm not, right, right, right. Anyway, but it's more like PTSD and that that's only effective with 50. It's only effective 50% of the time. Whereas this neurofeedback where they put a bunch of electrodes on your head and they put like a bunch of gel and, and you watch a television and it like, you know, you just watch like TV. You're like, I, I was watching like, you know, uh, like a documentary or whatever. And it trains you to like, be able to focus. So it, every time that you're like suddenly triggered or whatever it, the, everything goes smaller and grayer. And then when you, um, oh. you're like being present, it, it opens up and it felt like I was like a kid again. So it was training me to like be present in the world because I couldn't be because I was constantly That's thinking and worrying. And so for my, sure. yeah, yeah. My, beta so waves, cool. my gamma waves were just so off the chart and so deregulate, like they were so all over the place. And so finally um, working for like several, like probably like six months now, maybe two a year I've been working and like, I'm not even kidding after. So they said that in the body keeps the score that it's basically like 99% effective that if you just go to enough sessions and literally after two sessions, I was like, this is, I, that's when I booked the purge. It was and that like, Richard. Literally. Holy I'm not, shit. I'm like, so I thought I wasn't going to work again. And next thing you know, I was like, Oh my, my God. God, this changed my life. So, so it's like rewiring the, the thing, the thought patterns by doing it, or it's, um, it's, it's like, it's basically, I think here's, here's how I would describe it was I feel like before all that crazy stuff, my brain you know, when I was in a really good headspace with tennis and everything, um, like, I think my brain was, was, I felt pretty normal. I felt very like myself. And then when all this like terrible shit happened, then it was just so deregulated. And I was like, is this me? Like, is this who I'm going to be now? And this feels awful and terrible. And this isn't like, I don't feel like I'm me. And so I had done just so much work. So it's that anyone who's like struggling and I, you know, I think everyone probably right now after, after COVID um, has a little PTSD. So I think like it gave me so many tools, so I can't recommend that enough. And to go check out neurofeedback because literally after two, two sessions, I felt, I started to feel like me again. Like I could be present Um, and I like, listen, I could like, I could, understand more i could see more i mm. suddenly it's like the world had opened up to me again and i wasn't like looping in my head you know what i mean of like oh, i know exactly it. well i've done the same thing like, i'm gonna try it because it's like it's that ingrained thinking where and then you're even aware you're like oh my mind's you know going on a tangent again but i can't stop it and even though i'm aware you of can't, it, I don't know how right to, so here's the thing which it's is like, like the worst thing and it's like i want to be present but my mind's like so conditioned and I can't change. How do you change it? Like, it's like so hard. Here's, here's, here's what I've understood about PTSD after learning so much about it is you have this model of the world. And then when something terrible happens to you and you encounter true malevolence, you now have no understanding of the world. You don't know who you are. You don't know where you're standing in that world. So you don't know, 
your relation to the world. You don't know who you are. You don't know who the people are. You're like, who the hell am I? Who the hell are you? I thought the world was one way. And now I have no idea. Everything is up for grabs. And then it's kind of like I had reoccurring dreams until um, with this like really, really terrible relationship that I had that it was, this was a really interesting dream that I had was the was basically it was like it 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 was a reoccurring dream I had for like six years and it was like this guy um, an ex who would come in destroy my house eat all the furniture and then wouldn't leave you know and wouldn't let me like wouldn't leave and I would tell him to leave and he wouldn't leave and slowly as I started to do all this like work on myself in like therapy it, it started to change from like he finally started to like, I was like, all right, well now you have to like take responsibility for this. You're going to have to pay for all this. And so then, so, and then suddenly it it changed to, he was no longer Mm. in the room. Like it was post-destruction. And now I'm like, wow, I'm picking up the pieces, but I felt so grateful. He's no longer here. He's no longer in my house. And then now it's like, he's no longer there. Like, so we, I had to like get him to leave. And then finally, when I told him, you have to like be accountable for this, like now you have to pay for everything. He's like, all right, I'm leaving to he's no longer there. And so I would say that it's when you have something terrible happen, you are trying to process how for that thing to never happen again and your brain. So I think what the looping is, is I think this is what Jordan Peterson talks about that. It's like your brain will not, especially if you're high in conscientiousness, your brain will not let you go until you figured out how to not ever do that again. You know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Like to like, That's you so know, cool. step in like a, you, you step into a ditch. You're like, how do I never step into this ditch ever again? Yeah. 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 For sure. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm glad that you've gone into that topic on this part of it because it's, it's so interesting. It's like, like I, I want to get some of these details off you and try some of this stuff because yeah, the neurofeedback yeah, amazing. Sounds, uh, I want to try yeah. it for sure. I just yeah, I wanted to I really wanted to share that because yeah, I do I do think it's <laughs> I do think it's like I'm you know it's I feel important. very vulnerable talking about it because it is still like it, it is still a bit raw, especially if you're like dealing with trauma. But um, you know, I think for people like it's changed my life you know um and what were your other questions we'll yeah. try to make it super quick and i'll just give them one word in. all right we can give a quick one for I'll quickly do these three um so where, where do you see mental health in society in 10 years time do you see things getting better or worse or a bit of both both um bit of both. Right. um what would you say is your definition of happiness and sort of I asked that one because, you know, like we talked about before, I think the word happiness, it sort of there's a di- should be a different meaning for it. But yeah, what would you say is your purpose definition of that? Yep. Finding your purpose and balance and knowing what your values are. Yep. I completely agree with that one. Um, and final one, uh, what's the most courageous thing you've ever done? I think there's probably a lot um, from what you've said, but or one of the, one of the courageous things you've done. Um, well, in a past relationship, I, uh, was raising, raising kids. And so I think like, you know, being like a mom, you know, and being like a very like mama bear protective, uh, 
in nature, I, I think like that, yeah, I, it kind of prepared me for motherhood. So yeah, I would say like, there were so many moments of like being a mom and having to, you know, be courageous in so many different like settings and crazy situations. So I feel like, yeah. So I feel really proud. Hey. So I'm like, always like, my baby yeah. girl. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I feel really proud. So that feels. I can imagine. Yeah. It's so nice. You know, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Courageous. And then obviously like, I guess my tennis career and, you know, everything. I think it's I everything. You've, you've all the done things so I've done things. in like, you know, I mean, for, everything. For, yeah. But I guess for my values has always been family and in, in love and relationships. So yeah, I think that, that relates to my values of the things that I think I value the most, you know, so. Exactly. There's <laughs> nothing more important. Well, okay. what's more important, but yeah, thank you, Susie, so much for making the time. I yeah, really appreciate it. I've like, I'm sure this will help a lot of people. And if it doesn't, which I'm sure it will, it's helped me. It's helped me a lot. Just listening to this. Really? Like, that's why I'm sure it will help lots of other people. No, so much. It's like been so really? good. And I really, I just appreciate you coming and, you know, being so open and talking about all of that. And yeah, I've really enjoyed it. So thank, thank you, you for, I know you're, you're busy and yeah, thanks for making the time to do it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for that having good. me. This episode of Move Your Mind was produced and edited by Tim Boozer. Thanks to Susie Abramite for joining me today for Move Your Mind. And just a reminder that the Move Your Mind book is available for purchase in stores Australia-wide, online through Booktopia and Amazon in Australia, and through Amazon for pre-order overseas. We really appreciate your support. If you go to my website, nickbrux.com, and sign up, you can get a free chapter of the book and find other information. Once again, thank you for the support. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.